welcome to the Power of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Miller. And in this episode, I speak with Jenny Haskell, who is the Knowledge and Insights Lead for Deloitte Sports Business Group, where she works to give organizations a competitive advantage in the sports market. Jenny was a standout college player in soccer at Northwestern University and recently moved to the UK to join Deloitte's Sports Business Group in Manchester. At Deloitte, Jenny provides insights into the trends and challenges that underpin activity in all aspects of the business of sports and explores unique opportunities for organizations to proactively target these trends. She's a main contributor to Deloitte's inaugural Future of Sport report, as well as the annual review of football finance. So please listen in as I ask Jenny about what her clients are saying about sports and climate change, the rise of women's sports, recent trends and future directions in sports business, and how businesses can help sustain sport for generations to come. very well how are you doing well thank you not thank too you. bad thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate you taking time to record this show of course looking forward to it i've been listening to a few episodes it's really interesting oh i'm so glad thank you very much i'm really eager to get into the report that deloitte your company has authored about the future of sport but before we get there i just love to get to learn a little bit about you and how you got involved in sports early on in your life Yeah, of course. So I actually grew up and I guess for the purpose of this call, I will use the word soccer for the most part. Are you American, but you live in the UK? Is that right? American and moved over to Deloitte in the UK in October. So I have very much learned to say the word football, but comfortable saying the word soccer again. Okay. But uh, yeah, always been a soccer player, Uh, played just about every sport you could possibly imagine growing up, basketball, lacrosse anything and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But soccer really stuck. Went uh, to Northwestern to play soccer, coached other D1 schools after my time at Northwestern and just continued playing as an adult until moving over here. But I guess from a business standpoint, all of my internships while I was at school were in sport, whether that be from the media side or from the marketing side, from the content side, business side. And then made the decision right after college to go into sports marketing. Right before COVID and the world shut down, I made the switch to finance, which Mm -hmm. happened to be a pretty decent decision going into COVID. Learned a lot there from a financial planning asset management type of view. And then in October, made the jump across the pond to join Deloitte Sports Business Group. And how's it been over there in the UK? I lived there once myself. Oh, really? It's been... Great. I will say it did rain today, stereotypically, but it's been great. It's been fun as a soccer fan to be involved in that culture. I live in Manchester, so sitting right between two massive soccer organizations has been really fun. And the work that we do at Deloitte Sports Business Group is really interesting, working with some great clients and obviously taking a look at the future of sport as my day job doesn't hurt. Yeah. It's been fun. Where did you live in the UK? Uh, I lived in London for a year. I 
at Derry College. And then I, I lived in Oxford as well. I did uh, my graduate work there. And uh, I loved it. I had a great time. It brings back uh, a lot of great memories to talk to you and think about playing basketball on the Oxford University team, playing basketball on the London School of Economics team. Those were great times in Very my life. Cool. Seems like a long time ago now. Too, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, at any, but at any rate, so I want to go back a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, before you go to Northwestern, you must have been a standout soccer player in high school to be able to to play Division One college soccer. What was that like? You when did you start to specialize? Yeah, sports. So specializing is always a very interesting topic, but I probably started focusing mostly on soccer going into high school. So when I was about what is that, fourteen, fifteen, I was fully dedicated to soccer. Everything mm. I did was for soccer. I traveled all over the country, and it was really my driver. I was school and soccer and that was about it. I actually did think of going back to basketball towards mm -hmm. the end of my high school career. But then right before tryouts, I actually tore my PCL. So oh, no. that was my sign that we're sticking with soccer and that's the way it goes. Not playing basketball, not risking it before I go to college, but always played on the side anyway with friends, big tennis fan as well. I got to play that wasn't as structured and playing on the high school teams and all, but I specialized around ninth grade or so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your injury. I understand that's uh, rather common in, in basketball. That's yeah. Funny. Unfortunately, it was uh, not the best timing, but things happen. And I like to say it made me a stronger athlete on the end of it. But um, unfortunately, it is the injury crisis is very real and is definitely a detriment for uh, especially in women's sport right now but across the board yeah that's what i've read and what interested you in sports business after college or did you get involved while you were at northwestern for the most part i got involved while i was at northwestern i majored in economics journalism and marketing so it was this role at deloitte being within sports businesses the merge of all three, I like to say, so especially my role as knowledge and insights lead. It's really taking a look at our publications that obviously brings the journalism aspect into it, sure. making sure we do everything on a financial scale. One of our big publications is the annual review of football finance. So then you bring in the economic side of it and then obviously the marketing all across the board. So I think when I was in college, that was definitely on my mind. And that's where I did those internships that either showed me what I really liked or what I really didn't like. So whether or not that was an internship that was solely focused on social media and content, that really taught me how to write, especially in short form, um, mm -hmm. but wasn't necessarily what I wanted to focus on. And maybe I didn't want to be a social media manager, but that experience was just as important for me as one that I did and showed me mm -hmm. that I did enjoy being in the sports business environment. Sure. That was, you know, what caught my eye, Jenny, was the report that... Um, your company authored on the future of sport. But before we get to that, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned the football finance report. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. What yeah, so our, our annual review of football finance this year was the 32nd edition. So it's mm -hmm. been going on for a very long time. And essentially, we take a look at the big five leagues across Europe and the English football pyramid, the EFL as well. And then this year was the first year that we were able to do an analysis on the Women's Super League which uh -huh. is the premier women's tier in England. So that was really exciting for us as well. But it basically breaks down all of the finances from these major leagues, a lot of the teams across Europe. And our team basically goes through a four to five month long process 
looking through all the publicly available information and really taking a holistic view of why those numbers might look the way that they do. Obviously, that was a little bit different when COVID was impacting the finances of just about every sports organization. So really getting into that and past editions. And then this year also taking a look at some of kind of the futuristic type of considerations that football organizations really need to take a look at. So this year we talked a lot about governance. We talked a lot about having a good corporate structure as well as what data can do both on and off the pitch and really taking a look at the data life cycle and how important that is to maximizing your return. And then we also talked about ESG investing. So ESG and obviously the global sports market is continuing to evolve and a lot of new investor interest and how we've seen a trend of more investors taking ESG considerations when they're doing their due diligence on some of these investments. So it was really interesting this year to see the different themes come to life and then also to take a look at the incredible growth of women's football as well. And like I mentioned, soccer and football, very interchangeable, but this one is definitely the end review of football finance. Right. And, and, and women's sports, I think generally had a boom year last year, right? But, but what is it about uh, women's soccer that you think is particularly exciting to think about the future? Yeah, I'm obviously a bit biased because I love the game, but I do think it just has its own distinguished product. So when you think about women's soccer and the incredible growth that it's had, they have these superstars that are superstars in their own right. And I think what's really great about women's soccer right now is it's not just fans that are starting to take notice, but sponsors are starting to take notice. And you're seeing that women's sport isn't just a cleaner, safer version, but it really does generate those business returns. And so even with major tournaments, you're seeing bigger names, bigger storylines coming from female athletes. Obviously, women's soccer, I think, had a big start in the U.S. When you think of the 99ers and they were my inspiration growing up, I think you're seeing that global view now where it's more competitive. The product is better than it's ever been. The engagement is better than it's ever been. So it's a really exciting time for women's soccer across the globe. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because I remember reading years ago that one of the last sort of things to happen for women's sports to take off was that investment, was that sponsorship money. And, and the argument at the time was, if there was just this investment, then things would get rolling. The entertainment factor is there, the skill is there, all of those things are there, but there wasn't the attention being given to it because mostly male executives weren't putting money into it. So that's really interesting to see that you're, to hear that you're seeing that happen in the business world. What do you think you rely upon in your work now that maybe you learned during sports as a young person? Is there anything that you draw upon? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the things for me is you have that athlete mentality, you have that understanding. So when you're thinking about the global sports business environment, there's so much that you could focus on. And I think for me, having the athlete mentality of taking different stakeholders, right? So let's say you're the captain of your team. You can't just focus on you. Like you have to take into account a lot of different other opportunities and a lot of different other avenues. And so when we're talking about what does the future look like, there are so many different opportunities for sports organizations. And I think for me in my role, it's really taking a look at some of these trends across the sports business environment and how you can be proactive. So when I was 
an athlete, and especially I will also cue in a student athlete where you couldn't just focus on athletics. It's really just being versatile. And so that's really helped me come into the professional world. I think also having the creativity where you talk about having creativity on the pitch and kind of getting into that flow. Sports business is just such an exciting and booming market right now. And like I mentioned, so much opportunity. So really just taking advantage of that and really, I guess, looking into where you can be proactive, where you can look forward, where you can future-proof your business. And that's really exciting in the sports organizations, but also drawing from being an athlete. It's really exciting to see the growth of even my own sport come to fruition. Yeah, definitely. That must be very exciting to be involved in it, but also to have known a time where there wasn't as much interest. You really know what's happening and really appreciate that. And I think you mentioned ESG uh, already and some increased investments that you're seeing there, which I want to talk about a little bit. But more broadly, this show is really about the power of sports. And for some people, that means the power of sports to, to create positive social change or, or some kind of maybe inspire some impactful activities or initiatives. And I'm curious in your work with Deloitte, has that been a focal point at all in terms of maybe even leveraging? You mentioned superstars in soccer. I think of Megan Rapino. She's a superstar, a great player, but I think what catapulted her to some degree was her desire to step out and stand up for what she believed in politically. So I'm curious, how does that play into your discussions at Deloitte in terms of what you recommend businesses do in sports yeah, business? Yeah, I think Megan Rapino obviously made her mark there and it's been incredible to see the change that her and the team around her have created. One of the things that we look in quite a bit at the sports business group right now is that next generation of fan. And mm-hmm. what you're seeing there is a younger group of people that really care about those issues and care about brands taking a stance on certain issues. So right. when you talk to sports organizations, it's, you know, even when it comes to sponsorships, what values do you want to align with? You're seeing a lot more purpose-driven partnerships where it's not just about the asset on, let's say, a front of shirt sponsor, but it's really about the activation. And I think that activation piece is really important when it comes to social issues or when it comes to driving value from partnerships, from sponsors of individual athletes even. I don't think brands are shying away as much from athletes that use their voice in those issues. And that's fantastic to see. But I think as Gen Z continues to grow up and becomes more decision makers, you'll see that brands will align with certain values and that will be a big additive for what Gen Z is looking for when they consume different products. I think also across sport in general, you're seeing women's sport and mixed sport and parasport gain a higher share of um, visibility. And I think that's fantastic where you see a bit more of integration, a bit more of opportunity and access for all abilities, all genders and all ages. And I think that's really going to bring sport to that next level of opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, I'm on board with that, and I hope that does come to fruition. But I am curious, as an advisory group, how do you recommend companies navigate some of the controversial political terrain that's out there, right? Because as you mentioned, aligning their values with what they des- decide to uh, sponsor or work on might seem easy on the one hand, but it might seem difficult on another, right? How, what is your strategy along those lines? Yeah, I'm probably going to take a bit more of a general answer than you're looking for there. But I think the big thing is that there's no one size fits all in any of this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's re- what's right for each organization and it's what's right for each sport, each individual, each athlete. And every organization is going to be different in terms of what they want to do, what they can do in terms of their values. So I think for us, especially on a sponsorship side, it's just about finding key value drivers that align on both sides. And that's mm-hmm. going to make the best product. And that's going to make the best long-term investment that you can possibly have when both sides align on values and opportunity. Sure. Can companies in certain spaces survive if they don't take a particular approach? Is it, does it depend on the industry? I think you said it's case by case, but I'm eager to, to dive a little deeper because this subject interests me. There's a lot of backlash with certain companies uh, sponsoring certain things or putting their name on certain things. And uh, I'm sure that brands out there are aware of that right? uh, potential backlash. So I'm thinking, ESG in particular, that's something that's on my mind quite a bit with kids and climate change. And I think that sports need to do more. Big sports need to do more, particularly professional sports in the United States. There's been great efforts here to, at least on paper or with lip service, say, let's tackle racism, let's tackle sexism and and kind of thing. But I've yet to see a major sports league in America do more for ESG for particularly environmental issues. So I'm curious from where you sit, what do you make of that particular issue? Yeah, I think it's not quite as black and white as saying we want to do something and we will, or we don't want to do something and we won't. I think, especially on the environmental side, sport is definitely a contributor to climate change, but just like any other industry, but it also has a big platform to help in that space. So I think what you're seeing right now is a lot of thoughts about it and unique thoughts, innovative thoughts about what organizations can do. Um, Mm. I think you're starting to see that take shape in terms of long-term strategy, in terms of building ESG within their strategies. Will Mm -hmm. you see that actually come to in the next couple months, in the next year? I don't know. But I guess when you think about ESG, it's not just a tick box exercise, right? So it's not just, I'm going to do this and we will be good to go on carbon. It really is integrating it into all of your business decisions as a sports organization. So it does take a lot of thought. It does take a lot of energy in terms of having those critical conversations on what not only you want to do, but what is possible to do at that time. And I think we're seeing a trend in terms of those conversations are being had. Now it's really in terms of connecting the dots and ensuring that sport has the platform and uses it as you build into these critical years for the environment in general. Great. I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm glad to hear that there are at least conversations being had because I do remember a time when conversations, let's say the NFL, for example, on racism were not happening. And then things did change and at least conversations were starting to happen. And there has been some money put where the mouths are in that regard. So hopefully, as you say, it takes time to build this strategy and incorporate it. So hopefully that does continue to evolve. So let's talk about this future of sport report. That's the, the environmental issues are, are front of mind for me. But what, what's something that you uh, were really surprised by when you did this report on the future of sport? That's a good question. I think what we were able to do with this report is take a look at where we are right now. And then talk to some stakeholders and obviously ESG, climate change and environmental sustainability was a big one. 
I think for me, when you're talking about health and being, especially as a former athlete, that was a big one for me to take a look into the power that athletes have, how technology can add to the conversation, can add to, I guess, really athletes, both professional grassroots all the way through can aid in that development. And I think for me, it was great to see that we're having more open and honest conversations about everything from mental health to the menstrual cycle. You're starting to see apps pop up that can really help female athletes when it comes to navigating their cycles and what types of workouts, what types of nutrition, et cetera. And I think also as we take a look at the different types of technologies that are coming in the years ahead, what that can do in terms of participation and making this a fitter, healthier environment for all. I think technology is really the spearhead for that. Um, so that was really interesting for me to see from a health and well-being side, taking a more holistic look at participation and an athlete, whether that be at the pro level or all the way down to grassroots. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. When you mention technology, certainly like you mentioned, there's tons of promise there and potential. And yet when I hear you talk about that, I think about how technology is creating such a sedentary youth population as well. And that, of, of course, has implications for the broader sports business that's out there. But yeah, what are you hearing um, in your work about that, uh, the intersection of technology and, and youth, maybe, in terms of sports? I think it's huge right now. I think the first part of technology and kind of this digital environment that Gen Z especially is used to, right, is the visibility angle. So when you talk about getting kids especially engaged in sport, whether that be through digital or through esports or anything like that, that first pillar. So engaging in the participation, whether that be digital or not, but really getting that visibility in there. And then it's really growing the passion. And that's through all types of digital channels, whether that be social media, broadcast innovations, anything like that. And then you have that third pillar of really activating that passion. So creating a pipeline of development, really showing how people can get into and interested in games or different types of sports. So while I I think you're right, there are different uh, types of digital environments where it might cause more sedentary nature. It really does get you engaged in sport. And hopefully that'll encourage you at some way, shape or form to build a community to go outside or to go to the gym or you're starting to see a bunch of different new digital environments, whether that be in fitness classes where you can activate new digital technologies or even just building community around fitness and health and well-being. There's going to be, I think, this intersection coming up of digital fitness and then community. So bringing all of those together is really going to be getting the engagement and then activating from there. Yeah. When you mentioned that, I think of my wife bought us a Peloton. Is that kind of what you have in mind or, but more for, for young people as well? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I think that's a, an example of bringing digital right into your living room or workout space or anything like that. You can also compete because I think just about all of us are competitive in some way, shape or form, but I think you're seeing that gamification, right? So even at regular gyms or leisure centers or anything, you could be on a machine and in front of you, it has almost like a Mario Kart type of game where you move it to the right and you can see it going on a different pathway. So it's really just finding the fun in working out and finding the fun in fitness. And I think that's an example of it. I think you're also 
part of the big thing of kind of that leaderboard is you're part of a community. And I think sometimes we underestimate as an industry how big community is in this. So when you think about cultivating new participants and new viewers, new fans, everything like that, you can really take a look at building that community. And a lot of that will be digitally, as especially as sport grows, you know, increases in popularity from a global standpoint, not just in certain areas. Mm-hmm. You're giving me a lot of hope here, Jay, about uh, the future of sports, because it seems from what you're saying that you're noticing in your work, more of an intersection between economic goals being met and also community goals, social goals. Sounds like businesses are starting to listen to their users a little bit more about what they really want. Is that what you're noticing? Yeah. And I think obviously having stakeholder input is huge. So whether that be fans, whether that be even the uh, community around a stadium, let's say. So I think another trend that we're starting to look at is a lot of place-based sport. So what does it mean when a team builds a new stadium? How does that affect society around? So it's really taking into account that sport is much bigger than just sport. And I think you're starting to see that evolving landscape of sport blurring the lines between society, fitness, entertainment, and culture. A lot of these organizations are testing the waters and seeing what is possible with that. And I think that's great to see, like you said, from an economic standpoint, but also from just a societal improvement standpoint, these organizations are really taking a look at that. Yeah, definitely. And and it brings to mind in the United States, when professional sports teams try to get municipalities to help them build stadiums, I've always felt that there needed to be more public desire to push those owners of those teams to do something more for the community beyond just building a big parking lot to charge money for when the people come and buy their tickets to the game. But when I think about environmental issues, you think about maybe building green belts as well as building the stadium, having some sort of uh, public-private partnerships that really not only improve the community through sports, which is huge, but also leave lasting impacts that are significant outside the stadiums as well. So I I was really interested in your report and Nobody can predict the future, understand that. But trends, you have access to different people who are movers and shakers in different sports businesses. And I was curious, before I ask you more about the sort of the contents of the report, what was the process that you went through in, in drafting it? What yeah, were your criteria for looking into how to do it? That's a good question. I will say that I was not there at the very beginning. I did join a little bit through the process, but I think for us, we have such a broad network of, like you said, movers and shakers and innovators in this space. So really having those conversations on what these different types of stakeholders expect to happen or where they are right now. I think for us, it was really coming down to taking a look at some of the data that we were seeing across the board and what sports organizations were looking for or trying to implement. I think for us, when we took a look at kind of these six key macro forces, it was really separating it into what types of tangible things can sports organizations take a look at right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're starting to see it change. And I think the big thing with sport right now is it's evolving at such a quick pace. So for us, it's one of those things where how do you take what's happening right now, look really long-term and say, okay, now we need to build the steps to get there. So for us, breaking it down into this, these kind of six key macro forces, but also taking a look at 
the different types of stakeholders that will be affected by those macro forces was really important to us and weaving that into our analysis of the different types of change. For us, it was a lot of research at the front end, a lot of conversations with clients or with innovators in the space, and then bringing it together to say, we know that this is happening now. And in order to reach XYZ goal, these are the types of steps that are going to happen in the next five, 10 years. Um, So I think in short way to say, it was a lot of conversations, a lot of looking at different data sources, our own data, and coming up with some tangible steps that organizations can take to reach that end goal. Sure. And you mentioned there's six sort of key areas of focus. What, What are those? So that is an evolving global sports landscape. So that is everything from a mix of investor profiles. You're seeing a lot of investment in sport right now, but also in different entities within sport, different types of sport. And then the next one is just to make sure that I have it right, the next generation of fan. It's like we mentioned, Gen Z has totally different consumption patterns to millennials who have different consumption patterns to Gen X and et cetera. Now you're seeing Gen Alpha come into the mix. So really taking a look at the different types of consumption patterns and what the younger fans want and also how organizations can cater to their existing fan base and their millennials, but also attract the new fans in Gen Z and Gen Alpha. We also have Pace of Digital. So that's everything from new technology, wearables, monetizing and capturing your data in a way that can help you build, let's say, new sponsorship profiles or attract new sponsors. So really using data and technology to innovate. We have diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think that was really propelled, honestly, through the COVID-19 pandemic. You saw a lot of athletes use their platform on mental health, on maternity cases, on popularity in parasport, women's sport, and really just creating an new open environment to speak on these issues. The next one was health and being, like I mentioned before, and that was really taking a look at innovating the health and well-being space, everything from mental health, physical health, taking a look at the cross between technology and health and how that can be accelerated. And then the last one was climate change and environmental sustainability. Like I mentioned, organizations taking a look at where they are right now in their climate change and environmental sustainability journeys and where they can be um, feasibly in five, 10 years from now, and what types of actions you need to take in order to get there. And I think the climate change and environmental sustainability one, they, all of these forces interweave within each other. Um, but Gen Z coming up and listing climate change as one of their main concerns, that's something that really falls into, okay, sports organizations, if you want to attract the next generation of fan, amongst other reasons, you really need to start to think about how you're going to strategize in terms of climate change, environmental sustainability, and ESG altogether. Yeah, definitely. And I, and there's so much money in sports, as you mentioned, so much investment. And you do see companies in other realms taking very public stands. Patagonia comes to mind as being one of those companies outside the sport. I guess it's part of the sports world in some way, that company. But what are you hearing about sports-related uh, companies being leaders in and the, the fight against climate change. I think about Nike deciding to really take us with Colin Kaepernick at a time when it wasn't common, I don't think, for brands to be doing that. I think that they were one of the first, at least from my perspective, that's what it seemed like to me. 
Are you hearing of any companies who are saying, we want to be considered the leader in this particular very important space for young people, for our future consumers of our products? Yeah, I think sports has just become such a big focal point. It is, in my opinion, the most entertaining industry in the world. When you take a look at kind of some of these sports organizations, sports, I guess you could say tangent organizations, Mm -hmm. all of them are trying to figure out their best way forward. So everybody, every organization really wants to attract the next generation of fan. Obviously, it keeps the pipeline healthy. It builds business. But I think every organization now is also taking a look at what that means. So when you talk about diversity, inclusion, sustainability, it's one thing to start to build that into your long-term strategy. And I think, like I mentioned, organizations are doing that. I think you also talk about an authenticity in that. So maybe that means that organizations are taking a stand internally first and making sure that their own internal processes align with what they're saying outwardly. So I think, COVID, like I mentioned, COVID-19 really pushed that forward in the past few years and started that trend, I guess you could say, of companies, athletes, individuals really using their voice on those um, different topics. And so I think it would be difficult for us to expect that every organization would come out and pioneer something like that in a matter of three years since COVID happened. But I do think it really made organizations start to think about their strategy, take a look inside, make sure that what they're putting out is authentic. But I do think, like I mentioned, even having investors take a harder look into ESG due diligence when they're taking a look at a target in the sports industry, when they're looking to invest, that's a tangible step. That might be not be shouting it from the rooftops and being a pioneer, but that's really integrating it into the business decision-making. and. When that continues to take front, that will then create bolder effect of tangible change being made in the sports industry. So I think right now you're starting to see everybody focus on it and trying to build it into their long-term strategy. But I think when it comes to those big, bold stances, some organizations will. And I think it all comes down to those value drivers and different people at the tops of organizations and the society around it. But because sport is so global, I think it's difficult sometimes to take a certain stand on one thing and have different organizations on different sides of the world, I guess, make the big, bold stance all at once. So when I think it comes to pioneering, I think it's more so in terms of taking those tangible steps right now to then have a long-term strategy to create change. Yeah, it, it occurs to me that in here you talk about that, Jenny, that soccer in particular has really the biggest platform globally. And because climate change is such a global issue, that would be in an ideal world, at least from my perspective, I'm biased here too. <laughs> but I would like to, to see soccer uh, organizations step up and, and really lead that. Because the biggest sports here in the United States are not the biggest sports in the world. The NFL football dominates the entire landscape of sports here. And even as Former high school football player, I think that's too much. There's this concept of frozen space. Football kind of creates a frozen space that other sports can't really get into. And, and I think that's problematic for a number of reasons. But, but even if football was to take a stand on environmental issues, let's say, um, and it was more than just lip service, that wouldn't probably move the needle globally because not everybody watches American football outside of the U.S. 
So soccer really has that great potential, I think. So it's interesting that you work not only a former uh, soccer player, but also you work in, in understanding football finance. So be curious to talk again down the road and see if anything's changed in what you're hearing. I want to turn things on their head a little bit and ask about, are you hearing of any traditional sports that are failing to innovate? Because right? your report is really about innovation and how companies can innovate and think differently about the future. In the process of creating this report, was there anything that stood out in terms of some sports just keeping up with, uh, they should be kept keeping up with? I think when we take a look at kind of the greater sports landscape, I think every sports organization is thinking about what's next and is thinking about attracting the next generation because again, that's the business. It's attracting that next fan, that next player, et cetera. When you talk about failures, I think it's more so of innovating at a different space, uh, at a different pace. Some organizations and some sports are innovating much more quickly than others. And that could be everything, implications from a geographical standpoint to investment already within the sport or unique ideas um, outside of it. I think it's more a pace of innovation than it is a success or failure. Because I do think that just about everybody now is thinking about what happens when everybody cuts the cord or what happens when climate change becomes more of an issue? What happens when the next generation of fans just really doesn't like sport anymore? You really have to think about new ways to engage. And every sports organization is targeting a different type of next step right now. So some are, like I said, are innovating much quicker. They have a lot more resource. They have a lot more backing. Some are innovating in more unique ways, but don't necessarily have the global investment or even the eyes on it right now that you'll even be able to notice it. But I do think that across the board, the organizations that we work with and have talked to are all really taking a look at innovating in some way, shape or form. And like I mentioned, there's no one size fits all. So really taking the steps that fit towards that organization and make sense for their pipeline of talent both on and off the pitch. And are they are there any particular organizations that you think are doing a great job in one area or another? Let's say maybe, I don't know, NFTs or blending of physical and digital experiences was something I read about in your report, which interests me. Yeah. You're doing good work there. The, there are a few. Like when I think about, obviously, basketball is a big one or Formula One. You're starting to see, like you said, like a blend of digital, but also that Gen Z storytelling a lot of the younger fans really love that non-sport, non-live sports content. So obviously you saw that really accelerate motorsport, especially during COVID. You also saw that with basketball. Um, again, during COVID when I was sitting on my couch watching a Michael Jordan documentary. But I do think like both sports have done really well in terms of taking a look at the next generation and innovating from there. And both sports obviously have a lot of investment and a lot of potential. So they probably innovated at a quicker pace. Mm. But I do think that those have been very much Gen Z, Gen Alpha focused and really trying to maintain a fan base while also attracting a new one and also a more global one as well. Mm -hmm. And what about women's sports? Are there, maybe you were speaking about basketball, you mentioned it, you were speaking about women's basketball days, but what women's sports do you feel are innovating at a good pace these days? Yeah, a little bit of both. So you mentioned basketball. We also talked about women's soccer before. I think there's a lot of different models for women's soccer across the world. The U.S. model and the U.S. league is very different from Europe. And I think also you're seeing a lot of innovation and increased competition and 
other parts of the world that you haven't previously seen, but soccer is growing at such an increased rate and the accessibility is a little bit higher than other sports. But I do think, like you mentioned, basketball, soccer, I think you're also seeing rugby. I know it's not one that's especially popular in the United States, but especially since I've moved to the UK, you're seeing rugby and women's rugby in particular grow in accessibility and visibility in their sponsorships and partnerships across the board. I think there are a lot of different women's sports that are really taking a quick in liking across global sports investors and really attracting new fans and kind of spectators and really showing why it's worth the investment. But again, different paces across the board in different sports and different organizations. But like you mentioned, soccer and basketball and rugby over here, I think, are really starting to push that ceiling a bit further. And when you, you in your report, you talk about the increased investment that's going into women's sports of late. And what do you think is driving that? I think previously we've seen that women's sport has potential and you're seeing athletes and I think women's soccer in the United States, like I mentioned, took off fairly early compared to the rest of the world. But I think now you're really seeing the business benefit of it. And that's something that as you increase visibility, it's now turning into commercial viability. So more people are interested. You have that unique set of fans that when you go to a women's sports event, it's a very different environment than a men's sports event. So there's that different fan base. It's more family friendly, but at the same time, it's an incredible product that's on the pitch or on the court. So I think what you're seeing in terms of an investment side of it is this long-term growth investment in women's sport that isn't just a tick box exercise anymore. Now it's really proving to be an investment for business decisions and it's paying off in the long run. And I think especially on the sponsorship investment side, there are leagues that are bringing sponsors up to 400% return on investment. And that's incredible. And that also comes again with the visibility aspect of it. So playing at facilities or stadiums or courses that weren't necessarily open to women's sports previously, that's being on prime time on national cable television. It's really putting the visibility out there that now is driving the business on the backside of it, um, which is really exciting to see. Absolutely. And do you see that outside of the, the Anglo-American world as much as you do? Because I know, obviously, we have Title IX in the US, and so you mentioned the 99ers. Thankfully, in this country, women are able to, and young girls are able to participate at a very high rate relative to many other countries in the world. But what are you seeing globally in, those, in that regard? Yeah, I think, again, it comes a bit down to pace. So you're seeing, for example, the Lionesses winning the Euros has sparked incredible growth in women's soccer, football in the UK, right? So I think it's just comes down to that growth opportunity, but grassroots is such a focus. And I think you're seeing individual athletes, individual stars of women's sport right now, really pleading for the investment at the grassroots level, because the pipeline of, or the development pathway is critical to ensuring that the growth of women's sport continues, right? So without that development pathway and starting to create youth organizations, allowing the access, increasing the access, but also increasing women in sport. I think there's, we talk about that distinction between women's sport, but also women in sport, a development pathway for female coaches, female officials, everything like that. You're seeing it across 
the globe in some way, shape or form. And now it's really starting to take shape in countries that previously didn't have as much of an impact, whether that be in Latin America, South America are really starting to be competitive on the world stage. And that really just creates for a better product. So I think, again, it comes down to pace of some, like you mentioned, the United States are, you know, have been doing this for quite a while now, since the 99ers, if not a little bit before. So I think it really comes down to organizations, countries, leagues, really starting to create that development pathway, and it's really starting to pay dividends. And when you talk about invest in the report, I know you mentioned private equity as being a, a driver here. Are these private equity outfits, outfits that you're consulting with and saying there's opportunities here for 400% returns, and you might want to take a look at women's sports in terms of your investment portfolio? Is that part of the work that you're doing? Of course, we'll always push for women's sport. But to be honest, I think a lot of these, especially the sports-focused funds, big PE houses are already seeing what's happening in women's sport. They do a lot of research on this and they're excited about the opportunity. And it really just comes down to a bunch of, there's a whole bunch of different considerations from a PE standpoint, but also from different investment angles and different values of organizations. And so, yes, I think we'd like to say that we really push forward on that side of it. I think it's also just taking shape And like you mentioned, the data is now driving some of these investments. And I think that's a big difference and something Mm -hmm. that will continue in the next five, 10 years is the data and the data transparency on women's sport was Mm -hmm. lagging far behind that of men. So you couldn't really prove that it was a good investment previously. And now as we continue to build that database, the numbers really point to a great growth opportunity. And that's precisely what I find so important about being pioneers, right? Because somebody had to make that investment initially to say, we're going to take a risk and spend a little bit of our probably hard-earned money on women's sports or whatever it is. And we don't have the proof that this will give us a return on investment. But then now that you have the data, more people are following. So that's great to hear that, that that's a trend you're noticing. And I'm curious what you make about the idea of the power of sports, because in your work, which admittedly is very different than mine, and I'm looking at different issues primarily. Sports business is not uh, the first thing that I look at when I look at sports. Um, but you have a, a unique angle on it, right? thinking about how companies can make money off of sports. So I'm really curious for your thoughts on what the power of sports is. Maybe personally for you, maybe you can speak professionally as well. Uh, I'll leave it open-ended, but what do you make of that question? Yeah, I guess from a personal angle, Obviously, I've been an athlete my entire life and I've seen what it's done for me from even a work ethic point of view, from mental health point of view, physical health, obviously, point of view. So I think the power of sport is more than just the professional game. And I think a lot of people think of sport, they think of the big leagues, the big bucks, everything like that. And one thing I guess I've noticed from a personal standpoint is it's much more than that. It fills my life in so many other ways. I've met so many friends through sport um, that have now basically turned family. I've also learned quite a bit about building a winning culture, about building a winning team. Um, And I think when you take a look at this new lens of sports business and kind of as Deloitte Sports Business Group, when you take a look at the power of sport, again, it's more than just the professional game. It's more than just the big financial picture. It's also about creating the mechanisms to 
sustain sport for the community, for the fans, for the opportunity and access at the grassroots level. So I think we talk a lot, especially through our annual review of football finance, but just in general about kind of the sustainability of sport and making sure that it's a long-term investment and, and that kind of we're surrounding it with the best and most innovative ideas that kind of keep sport at its best for years and years to come. Because I do think that sport is a big center of society. I know we mentioned before kind of sport and society and the place-based aspect of it. But when you think about what sport can do to, to be honest, to change lives from grassroots all the way across the board, it's really powerful. And I think, again, grassroots and creating that development pipeline, creating that talent pipeline, but then also safeguarding sport for generations to come is really what we're looking at in the future of sport right now. I love that. Thank you so much, Jay. And I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned years to come. I know that you've been doing the football finance report for many years. I believe the future sport report is an inaugural report. Is that right? That is so, correct. Will that continue for years to come? Yes, hopefully so. We are in the process, but it's quite interesting because like I mentioned, sport evolves very quickly. What happened right now could be done and dusted in three months. So I think we're taking a look this year at really trying to take a look into the data, take a closer look into some of these trend lines and really see where organizations can innovate at different paces. So that's really exciting for me to continue to look forward and to help these sports organizations across the globe be proactive in making some of these decisions. But yeah, excited for the next edition. I am as well. I really appreciate you doing the work and I appreciate you being on the show. It's been a lot of fun to get to know you and learn about the work you're doing there. Thank thank you you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet you. You too. I look forward to keeping in touch. Sounds good. Have a good one. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Well, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please subscribe and review the show. If you like it, please share it with your friends. My thanks again to Jenny and her entire team at Deloitte. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time on the Power of Sports podcast.